All right, friends, uh, what a privilege uh, it is uh, every Sunday to be able to search the scriptures, to look into the Bible and see what God has in store for us and for our joy and for our blessing. And we have the opportunity uh, again this morning uh, to do precisely that. Now, uh, if you're at home, uh, whether you be an individual or just a family, or maybe as a group you're worshiping together uh, and you have your Bibles, I want you to turn in your Bible to uh, a book that's easy to find in the Bible. It's the first book of the Bible. It is the book of Genesis. And, you know, of course, the Bible has chapters and verses in it. And I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. And we're going to begin reading at verse 27, and we're going to read into uh, chapter 12 for just um, uh, a few verses. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay, because you're going to find uh, the passage on the screen before you uh, in just a minute. Now, before we read the scriptures together, I want to give um, a, a quick little intro to what we're looking at um, this morning. Um, in, our, in the church that I currently pastor in, uh, in Phoenix, in Central Phoenix, we're going through a series on what we call uh, the covenant. And if you've been a Christian for uh, some time, you'll be familiar with that word. You, you may not always know exactly what it's pointing to, what it all means, um, but, but you'll, you will have read that word, you have heard that word, because that word covenant is found throughout the Bible, literally from the first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible. And, and the word covenant really refers to how God relates to us as his people, as his children. Um, and, and God relates to us by means of a, a formal bond of friendship and love that is found in Jesus Christ. And, you know, when you take a look at the Bible, you see that the Bible is, is um, filled with different kinds of covenants. And the Bible teaches us that really, essentially, there's only one covenant but there, at different periods, God renews the covenant and expands on the covenant. And, and it, it's a beautiful thing to behold in, in, in the Bible. And in the series that I'm going through in, in Phoenix, we've looked at how God covenanted, how he entered into this bond of friendship and love initially with a man named Adam in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, followed by a covenant that he renewed also with um, a man named Noah, and also his family. And then now we're going to be looking at a covenant that God makes with uh, a man named Abram. And if you don't know anything about Abram, that's okay. I'll explain him to you. Okay. So with that in mind, um, let's draw our attention now to Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
and especially these three verses that we're going to focus on this morning. God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, now look at that last phrase, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Brothers and sisters, you know, that, that is, that's phenomenal. You know, what the, Lord, what the Lord is saying to Abram is essentially this. He's saying, I, I'm going to draw you to myself. I'm going to enter into this formal bond of friendship and love with you, but also with your descendants, so that you and your descendants on down the line throughout the centuries, and by the way, that includes you and me, will then in turn be a blessing to those around you. Now, I'm going to get back to that point in just a minute. But for now, I want to say this. Uh, upon occasion, and you can you probably envision this uh, as part of the work of a pastor, um, but upon occasion, uh, at least in Phoenix, we will uh, get visitors. In fact, I shouldn't even say upon occasion. Almost weekly, we get some form of inquiries from people outside of our church. And uh, some of those visitors come from other churches. Um, some are looking for another church uh, by which to identify and serve. And then sometimes, periodically, we, we get individuals who come to us who have very little background in the Christian faith, sometimes not at all. I remember um, a, a man who came to us, oh, I think about a year or two ago. His name is Jesse, and he's a dear friend now. But when he came in, he had no exposure to the Christian faith. Um, and as, as I do with a lot of visitors, I, I say to them, hey, do you want to get together? Listen, do you want to have coffee? And he said, yeah, sure, you know. He was getting to know a girl in our church. And I said, well, let's get together. So we got together. And we had a sit-down session, probably about, maybe just about an hour, just kind of a chit-chat session. And usually with new people like that, I kind of want to know where they're coming from. And so we first, you know, we have chit-chat, we, we develop a little bit of a relationship. And, and then at some point I say, you know, and of course they expect this from a pastor, right? I say, uh, and, and these are, I pose to them certain diagnostic questions, you know, uh, and, and, and I have four diagnostic questions. And I pose this to Jesse, I said, uh, and this is after he told me that he'd never read the Bible before. And I even asked him, I said, you know, you can't find anywhere in the Bible? I said, no. So I said to him, uh, if, if I asked you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, would you know where to go? He said, no. I mean, so you're building from the ground up, right? And so I said to him, uh, uh, Jesse, I have four questions for you revolving around four fundamental areas of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin. Uh, you know, where do we come from? How do we get here? Meaning, uh, why are we here on this earth? Uh, morality, how should we live? And then finally, destiny. You know, what happens after we die? A lot of people wonder that, right? Of course, they want to think that they're going to a good place. And, and you notice that, that one of the diagnostic questions revolves around the matter of meaning. Why are we here? What's our purpose? 
And, you know, if, if someone's been in the Christian faith for some time, they'll say, well, um, the, the, our, our basic purpose is, I guess, to know God, um, to search after God, pursue God, find God, and love God, serve Him, glorify Him, and enjoy Him forever, right? But when we really take a look at our passage this morning, we see that there's another purpose beyond just knowing God and glorifying God, but it's it's being a blessing to others around us. Being, being instruments in the hands of Jesus in this world. And that's precisely the fundamental theme of what we're taking a look at this morning. That you, you and I, listen to me carefully, you and I do not exist for the sake of ourselves. But we exist and by God's grace, we've been drawn to Jesus so that we might be the hands and the feet of Jesus in this world so that we will be a blessing to the world in which God has placed us. Doesn't sound very selfish, does it? It's not. We're here for the sake of others. So we're going to fill that out. Now, I want you to take a look at the Bible, but also I'm sure this verse will be on the screen before you. I want to read the first uh, verse of, of Genesis chapter 12. We read again, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And so what you, what you have here is you have God. This is the first time Abram's mentioned in the Bible. And, and, and really, at least in any meaningful way, and, and it's God now who's coming to Abram and he's, he's entering into a relationship with him. Okay, And this is pretty profound because, because Abram wasn't a believer in God at that point. Maybe some of you are watching right now. You say, I, I can identify with that, right? Now, there's a little bit of a, a background to this, to, to Abram. And before I talk about Abram in just a moment, I want to say this. The first time that God actually covenants or enters into a bond of friendship and love is actually with a man named Adam in the Garden of Eden that God created for Adam and his wife Eve. And God covenants with, with Adam as a representative of all of humanity, or subsequent humanity, because there's no, there's no human beings other than Adam and Eve at this point. But God covenants with Adam, and um, part of the blessing of that covenant also is the relationship that Eve has with God. So in a sense, God is really covenanting both with both Adam and Eve. And um, uh, God God enters into this this form of bond of friendship and love with him, which which you know what the Bible describes this bond as essentially a marriage. And God says, you're mine. And in a sense, he, he, puts, he puts the wedding ring on, on the, the finger of, of Adam and Eve, okay? And in the beginning, the marriage is wonderful. There's intimacy, Adam and Eve walk and talk with God. It's, it's a wonderful relationship. But at some point, it ends. And I'll tell you how it ends. Or at least disrupted. Maybe that would be a better word, disrupted. God said to Adam and Eve, and maybe you know this story, maybe you don't, but God said, there are many trees in the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve, of all these trees you can eat, but there's a tree in the middle of the garden that you must not eat of, the fruit of that tree, because if you do, you will surely die. And to make a long story short, Eve couldn't help herself. To eat. The fruit looks so good, right? That's the nature of test, uh, temptations, right? Mmm, looks good. She eats the fruit. Adam eats of the fruit. And the relationship becomes broken, becomes ruptured, fractured. 
And you know what Adam and Eve did at that point? See that? They took the ring off their finger and they threw it away. And this had dire consequences for Adam and Eve, okay? Um, it affected them. It affected all their relationships, the relationship between themselves as Adam and Eve, their relationship with God, relationship with the creation, everything just disrupted their lives. It was terrible. And you know what? God had every right to say, you know what? That's it. We're getting a divorce. There's this act of infidelity, right? But he didn't. You know what he did? See the ring that was thrown from their finger? Kids, you can imagine this, right? You got this ring that they threw on the ground. God went to the ground, picked up the ring, and he put it back on the, ring, uh, on the finger of Adam and Eve. He says, I'm, I'm not going to divorce you. I'm not going to divorce you. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a promise, okay? And here's the promise. The promise is simply this. I am going to send you a deliverer. I'm going to send you a savior, one who's going to truly restore this relationship and make it what it should be. And, and it's also this, the Savior who's going to restore the world that sin is affected to. Because sin not only affected humanity, but it, but, it, but it affected the physical world. So God gave that promise, right? Now, this didn't take away the act of infidelity, though. There's consequences to this infidelity, and that's the reality of sin. And we, we see sin in the life of Adam and Eve, and we see sin in the life of the generations that come forth from Adam and Eve. And boy, you and I look at the world today, and we see sin all around us. I think it's one of the most compelling arguments for the for the Christian faith. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, and that is the reality of sin. Or you can't deny it, right? A lot of grief, a lot of pain. Well, there's a lot of grief and pain and, and sin in in the subsequent generations of Adam and Eve after that throughout the centuries. And and finally, to make a long story short, God's patience ran out with the subsequent generations of Adam and Eve. The sin was so deeply embedded. God had enough. He said, "You know what?" Um, I am, and kids, some of you know this story, right? God said, I am so fed up with sin that what I'm going to do is I'm going to destroy every living thing on earth. I'm going to destroy every living human being, and I'm going to destroy the animals as well. And that's precisely what God does by sending a devastating worldwide flood. But God spares. He spares one man and his family. His name is Noah and his family. And God spares some animals. He puts them in an ark. And it all sounds like a silly story, doesn't it? But it's true. Because what is God doing? He's saying, these people don't deserve it. The animals don't deserve it. But I'm doing this. Why? Because I love this world. I'm not going to give up on it. And for the sake of a promise that I made in the Garden of Eden. And you see, when God marries and God makes promises, he doesn't, he doesn't break them. And God says, you know what? What I'm going to do is is I'm going to stay faithful to that promise of bringing this Savior known as Jesus into this world for the sake of my people and for the sake of my physical creation and also for the sake of the nations of the world. Now, why am I taking some time with that? Because this is what Abram is all about. Abram and the blessing that he and his descendants, you and I, are going to bring to the nations. All right. So God comes to Abram, right, at a certain point. And, and we read that uh, in our passage this morning. And um, here's some things about Abram that you may want to know. Very quickly, um, Abram lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. That is in modern-day Iraq. Okay. Secondly, Abraham was living in spiritual darkness. He was living in a pagan family. He was not living in a, a family of people who believed in God. Um, his father was Terah. He worshipped idols. Um, many commentators believe that Terah was a worshiper of a sun god, of all things. 
And so Abraham kind of grew up, kids, I mean, if you grew up in a Christian family, imagine growing up like that. That's not good. That's not good. And Abraham, or Abram, was also, uh, he had a wife. He married a woman, and her name was Sarai. And Abram and Sarai um, never had any kids, at least up to this point. And you know how old Abram is? He's 75. His wife's a little bit younger, but no children. So that's his background. And one day, God comes to, to Abram. He says, Abram, this is what I want you to do. Go. I want you to leave your family, your kindred. I want you to leave your country. I, wanna, I want you to basically leave everything that is familiar to you, and I want you to go to a different land that I have reserved for you. Abram, I want you to go, basically, and I want you to follow me. You know, this is, this is, this is a fascinating thing. And if you're here watching this morning and you're not in Christ, you're not a Christian, you don't belong to a church, this is going to give you hope, okay? What God is doing, listen carefully, is what God is doing, he sees he's, he's entering into covenant with Abraham. The word is not used here, but, but, but the substance of it, the essence of it is used here, okay? He's entering into this bond of friendship and love with, with Abraham. Now, I'm going to get a little bit technical here, but you'll be able to handle this, Right? I want you to know something about this, this bond of friendship and love that God makes with Abram. First of all, it's what theologians call unilateral. And what I simply mean by that is, is God initiates it. Okay? Now, it's not like Abraham was living in spiritual darkness and he was saying to himself, you know, I think that it might be kind of nice to start a, a relationship with, with God. You know, he's not looking for God. God went looking for him. God went looking for him. God initiates this relationship. Uh, secondly, um, this relationship is, is gracious. In other words, God didn't have to do this, right? I mean, um, there, there's nothing in Abram that, that deserved this relationship with God. It's, it's not like God looked down from above and said, hey, this Abram is living in spiritual darkness, but you know, he's a more moral dude than the rest of these people. So he's worthy of this relationship. He doesn't say that. No. Abram wasn't deserving of a relationship with the true God. But shows you something of the heart of God for the lost, right? So it's he initiates this relationship, that is God, and then um, it's a gracious relationship. It involves a number of promises, which we're going to look at in just a moment. And then finally, Finally, this relationship is not only unilateral, but it's bilateral. That means there's um, obligatory promises that are made on both ends. So God is obligated to fulfill his promise to Abram and his descendants to, to, to be a God to them, to bless them, that they may be a blessing to the nations. But, but Abram and his family and his descendants are also obligated, as we are obligated, to live a life of faith and obedience before God. You know, what we have to realize um, this morning is that, you know, should, should I tell you why this, 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 this passage is so important? It's one of the most important passages in all the Bible. And I'll tell you why it's also important that we, we look at this covenant that God makes with Abraham, because really, essentially, this is the same covenant that God makes with us as Christians. Because we, we, we are the descendants of Abraham. 
We're the spiritual descendants of Abraham. So when we read a passage like this, we just can't say, oh, this is just a historical footnote. Isn't this very interesting, nice history lesson? No, you got to put yourself in the passage. You got to go, oh, this relationship is also my relationship. The grace found in this passage, this gracious disposition of God to Abraham, that's God's gracious disposition to me. And the obligations that Abraham, Abraham has to, to, to believe in God and believe his promises and follow him, I mean, that's what we're called to do as well, right? Jesus says, who would ever come after me, what? You know these words, right? Whoever come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And you know what God says? He says, if you do that, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. You go, what in the world was it? What does the word bless me? God says, I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you health. I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my comfort. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to be your God always. And you are going to be my people. In a world that is described in the Bible as a world without God and without hope, you can't get any better than that. What a, what a blessing. What a blessing. Okay, so God says, if you follow me, I'm going to bless you. And then you know what? Not only am I going to bless you, but I am going to bless the world around you. And this is how it's going to work. Now, this is where we get to verses 1 through 3. I want to read just the first two verses. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, notice how it begins with a command. Abraham, here's the command. you got to follow me. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So you notice it begins with a command, and that command is followed by three promises. Okay? Here's the promises very quickly. The promise that God says of Abraham, you know, I'm going to make you into a great nation. In other words, I'm going to I'm going to give you descendants. Elsewhere in the Bible, God says, Abram, I'm going to give you so many descendants, they're going to be like the sands of the seashore. They're going to be like the, the stars of the sky. <laughs> you know? And a lot of people might go, well, that's kind of cool. You can you know, have a lot of kids, a lot of grandkids, you know, and all of that. But here's the thing. Remember, Abram and Sarai have never had kids. Abram's 75 years old. Can you imagine if somebody in the church, let's say the older churches, maybe you can think of someone right now, the guy's like 75, let's say his wife's like 65, and they announce to the congregation, hey, we're pregnant. <laughs> it's like, serious? That's a miracle. <laughs> well, imagine if you're in the situation of Abraham, and God says, you know, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going like, but Lord, I, not only do we have we never had kids, we can have kids, and we're old. We're beyond childbearing years. God says, no, 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 no. Don't doubt me. I'm God. You don't think I can fulfill that promise? So it's number one. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. What, what a promise, right? Gracious promise. Secondly, what God says is he says, I'm going to bring you to a, a land, Abram. Remember, he says, go and I'm going to bring you into a particular land. Now, if you're a Christian and you know your Bible somewhat, you know that that land is called the land of Canaan. 
It's a land the Bible describes as flowing with milk and honey. It's a land that is abundant. It's beautiful. It's flourishing land, okay? And, but here's the thing. Listen carefully to this. This land is not only beautiful and productive, but it's strategic. Because the land of Canaan was really, later on in history, it became the crossroads of the world. Okay, God knows this. And God says to Abraham, I'm going I'm to bring you to, to that particular land. It's going to be the crossroads of the world. It's going to be a very important piece of property in this world. Okay, and um, it is going to be um, uh, uh, a land through which a lot of trade goes through. And uh, a lot of people are traveling through. It's a very important part. And it's at the very center. Do you know that elsewhere the Bible calls the land of Canaan the navel of the world? Kids, you know what a navel is, right? Your belly button. And where's the belly button? Is the belly button here? Is it here, right? Is it in your foot? No, it's right here. It's right in the center, right? Your stomach. It's right at the center of who you are, right in the center. And God says, I'm going to put you right in the center of the world. And I'll tell you why. Because down the centuries, this is going to be a staging area for the good news of Jesus to go out in the world. So God's really saying, Abram, listen, I'm, I'm preparing your descendants, that's you and me, to be placed in the center of the world so that when you read the New Testament and after the, the death and the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ, he pours out his spirit. And where does the church begin? Right there in Jerusalem, the center of the world. And it goes and it spreads throughout the world. Isn't that incredible? Right? So we, got, we have descendants, we have land. And then God says a third promise. He says, listen, I'm going to give you a great reputation. You're going to be known as a people who are blessed throughout the world. More could be say, I'll leave it at that for the sake of time. Now, as we start drawing to a close here, what I want us to understand is that all these promises are followed by a fundamental purpose. And here's the purpose. God says, you know what, Abram? What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you into this land and I give you many descendants and I give you a great reputation, a great name. People are going to know you and your descendants. And I'm going to do all that for this fundamental reason, for this fundamental purpose. So that you're going to be a blessing to others. So that you're going to be a blessing to the nations of the world. That's what I'm going to do. Actually, um, a missiologist named Chris Wright notes this about the passage. He says, actually, when it, the Lord says, I'm going to give you land and descendants, so that, as if you look at the text, it says, so that you will be a blessing. Actually, in the Hebrew, this comes as an imperative. Actually, it comes in a command. So really what God is saying is, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, bring you, I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to bring you into this land. And, having, and, and, and when I do that, here's my command to you. Now, be a blessing. Be a blessing to the people around you. Okay? And then the blessing, his blessing comes to its final climax and the final promise of verse 3. All of the first two verses culminate in these words. God says, I will bless those who bless you and curse him who dishonors you. Uh, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Or we could read it, by you or through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Say, so how's the world going to be blessed, the descendants of Abraham? How's the world going to be blessed through you and me? Not only by the way that we live our lives and the words that we speak and the love that we give. But you know who the greatest descendant of Abraham is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus who comes forth from the line of Abraham. 
Jesus indeed came to be a blessing to the world. And Jesus says, as the Father has chosen me, now I have chosen you to bear my name before the nations. That's our purpose. So brothers and sisters, listen. I want to leave you with this this morning. It'll be very, very simple. You and I, according to the covenant of Abraham, do not exist just for the sake of ourselves, but we exist for the sake of the world. And God says, listen, I have chosen you, I have drawn you to myself, and I have covenanted with you, not just as adults, but also you children as well. And down throughout the generations, I have reserved you for myself, not only so that you may receive a blessing, but so that you, in turn, may be a blessing to the peoples of this world. You know, um, I find, I'll tell you, I'll be very blunt. I can get kind of blunt sometimes, but I find far too many Christians kind of revel in that. They kind of go, well, God, God loves me, and God has chosen me, and God blesses me, and isn't that a wonderful thing? And we just kind of come away thinking to ourselves, isn't this a great privilege? And God, and it is a privilege. It is. Praise God for that. But I tell you what, God says, my choice of you entails not only a privilege, but listen to me, responsibility. Responsibility to bring my grace to others and to be my instruments in this world of grace and love and a voice to others to bend the knee of Jesus and know the blessings that we ourselves have received. Oh, oh, there are, there, there, there are so many churches that don't have that, that, that vision. And sometimes we have to say, sometimes in frustration, listen, don't you see the words of, of Genesis chapter 12, God has reserved a blessing for us so that we may be a blessing to others. And, and Jesus himself picks up on this when he says to, to his disciples and say, says to us as well, what I want you to do is I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. So, so for those of you who are watching who've never committed your lives to Christ, now's the time. God calls you into covenant with himself. God calls you to be blessed. God calls you to be forgiven. Don't run away. Stop running away. God says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Jesus says, come. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, with the cares of this world and especially your own sin, and I will give you rest. And for those of us who are walking with Christ, may we never walk away from the fundamental calling that we all have. And may it be that this is a calling that is always before you as brothers and sisters at Pathway and future generations. That you're gonna say, you know what? We exist for the glory of God but we also exist for this, that we may love on each other and care for each other, but also that we may love on and care for the world. Indeed, with that, may we truly be Abraham's children. And with that having been said, 
All right, brothers and sisters, please join me in prayer, if you would. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity that we could have together to open up the scriptures, to see the fundamental calling that you have given us, to not only embrace Christ and revel in your goodness and grace to us, in the covenant relationship that you have with us. But, oh God, help us to take seriously the obligation that you place before us to seek not only the name of Christ ourselves, but to bear Christ's name before the nations, before the peoples of the world. God, grant that that may be the case here in Phoenix, but especially in Abbotsford. And teach us how to do that, oh God, and give us a heart burden for that, we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen.